Welcome to the Yoga Book Podcast, the first show where I shall remain anonymous for as long as I can. So I'm here with Maria Tozo, a spiritual coach and author. She is the creator of A Course in Emotional Freedom, How to Heal Your Emotional Triggers. Maria runs a yoga teacher training program. She teaches meditation. Let's talk about your work healing emotional triggers. So that work really grew out of my own personal story of healing as much as my work as a yoga teacher and meditation teacher. Very early on in my life, I was 19 when I first got into Tibetan Buddhism after the death of my father. And one of the first things I remember a teacher saying that somehow really stayed with me all these years is that we, you, I am the light that gives life to this body. He said that what our job is as Buddhists is to go to the mind, and the mind is in the body. And that was such a new phenomenon because somehow I think I thought the mind is something to do with the brain. But the concept that you would clear the energy field of your body to clear your mind and then start to experience your own infinite nature and see others for really more of who they are and rather than through a filter of your own prior experiences. So, so that was really stated as the main goal of being a human being, you're here to clear your mind. We were given at that time actual practices to achieve that and one of them was visualizing an entity called the Dorje Semba above your head and there was a white Buddha and when you would say this hundred syllable mantra that I memorized, the letter Sri would start spinning in the Buddha's heart and out through his right big toe would flow this white nectar and it would flow down through you and around you and clear your mind. What I realize now, this many years later, is that was essentially my first body scan. Because as you visualize nectar flowing through your body, you go through every body part. And what you bump into are those places that feel contracted, or nervous, or angry, or frustrated. And if I can release that contraction within, and the actual physical sensation in my body, there's room for me to see you as who you really are. You know, so much of it, I think, what you say is in our body and we have to release it. And then there's the reality of what is going on. So something happened the other day where I was helping a friend out. Things sort of unfolded and I made some mistakes and I was nervous about the technical side of it and I probably got a little controlling and she called me out on that. And then she writes me this incredibly insulting email and I'm not sure what to do with that. So whenever people tell me a story like that, I'm aware of two kind of layers of any story. There's the narrative, but then what is the more interesting piece, energetically speaking, is what did that trigger in you? So if you were to tell me like the most insulting sentence in the email that you can remember to the best of your ability, and I will now read that sentence to you, or recite it. You're killing my creative career with what you're doing here. So what I would have you do if you came to me, which you know in a sense you are, I would have you close your eyes. I would have you become really aware of your internal landscape. And I like to call that the sacred roadmap because the body, the sensory system, is where these things show up on the energetic level. 
but we're going to go to the actual root of the sensation. So feel into your body and feel in particular your lower abdomen, the space around your belly button and above the belly button, the solar plexus, and the chest, the right side and left side and the middle of the chest. And just drench and saturate this part of your body with your awareness and then become aware of your breath as you do that. And feel the energy field of the torso from the throat down through the heart center, stomach, lower abdomen, pelvis. And then stay really alert and I will now read that sentence to you. You're killing my creative career with what you're doing here. <laughs> you're making things worse. You're harming me. What shows up inside the body? My throat is constricted. So if you keep your eyes closed, so you really stay in the energy field of the body with an enormous amount of interest, compassion. Please show me where is this showing up the most? So feel into the heart, behind the breastbone, left side, right side, and up through the throat. And then there are these voices within you, but I was just trying to help. This is so unfair. Now you're telling me that I'm making things worse when all I wanted to do is be helpful and give my expertise. So feel that feeling inside the heart. And as you're with the heart now, and you're just with the pure raw feeling in the chest, in the throat, breathe deeply, slowly, really sinking into, okay, this is here. I'm really letting myself feel this, even though it's not comfortable. Just feel into it, be with it now for a moment. And now as you really drench this area with your compassion, with your interest, with your pure presence, say inwardly to this place, I'm here, I notice you, I feel you. But I'll tell you a little story about actually a friend that lives nearby and she's now in her 70s and she told me about a story um, this was before COVID but she went to spend Christmas with a, a friend she's had for a very long time and she was going to bring a certain dish and she thought well you know instead of bringing the finished dish I'm just going to bring all the raw materials for this and I'll chop and, and, and saute and things with her in the kitchen and that will be part of how we prepare together. So she did. And then she was doing the chopping of her vegetables. I don't remember the details of the dish she was preparing, but her friend made a critical comment about how she chopped the vegetables. And she completely shut down. Something just kind of collapsed inside of her and she got really quiet and felt so criticized that the rest of the evening, Christmas Eve of all evenings, was just kind of ruined. She never really uh, recovered from that criticism. And she could feel it, and she, she tried to outwardly behave as though I'm fine, but inwardly she was driving home thinking, what was that? I just totally sort of lost it inwardly. Like she didn't lash out, something shut down. 
So she's a psychologist by training and she's been a teacher and a trainer of facilitators of all kinds of things. She knows how to do her inner work. So she sat with it in a morning meditation and did something similar like what was that that was triggered? Now she's in her 70s, now late 70s. So say she was in her mid 70s when this happened. She dropped back to a feeling and experience of being in the kitchen at a very young age. And she must have been very young because her dad was in the war, Second World War, and her mom was home alone with two kids and totally overwhelmed by, you know, the war and the missing husband and these two little kids. And my friend was trying to help her in the kitchen and was shooed out with irritation and just sort of dismissed and it was just a replay of that feeling of really wanting to help and then being shut down. Like that's a really old story and it's a relatively minor incident. I mean, it wasn't even violence or severe abuse of any kind. It was simply an irritated mom who shooed her out of the kitchen. And yet, because we're so vulnerable and so porous, if you will, to the messaging about who we are and how lovable we are and what it requires to receive love and acceptance when we're that young, she got into such a contracted state that was lying in wait to be triggered 70 years later. But then that gave her an opportunity to say, it's okay, I'm here, I love you. I know you're just trying to help. So she could be with herself and she could call her friend back and say, hey, I kind of freaked yesterday. There are times when we can simply watch somebody else being triggered and we can sidestep it and not get hooked into it. But more often than not, a trigger will trigger a trigger. So it, it kind of goes both ways. We can know that we're triggering somebody else and we have somehow pushed a button and we might even be able to go in and help them find out what that's about. But first and foremost, we're responsible for our own triggered state. And that often requires just taking a huge step back. Like don't try to resolve the triggers between you and another person before you've resolved your end of the trigger. Then you kind of release that and stop analyzing those words and simply go into the body. Where does that show up? And that's why it can be just like we did, simply holding that place. And if you were to sit for a moment longer and just hold that place like you would a baby, it's the difference between a verbal child where you can say, what happened? Do you want to tell me? And there might be some words there that could describe how this small piece of us feels, but it could also be pre-verbal. It could be that you take that place within and hold it more like you would an infant or a very small child that doesn't have words, but that certainly can feel loving presence and relaxes into loving presence. And that alone can relax something. I know we're going kind of deep here with this, but you know, this is <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> well, and I love well, that you I mean, say that, that because I that think all of us feel embarrassed when we're triggered. For years, only people that had debilitating triggers would come to me. And it's sort of a newer thing that people that have triggers that aren't debilitating, but they're still visceral enough that they impact a person have started coming to me. And of course, my wish is that anybody would come to me because we are all triggered nearly every day in some way. And all of those triggers 
are a way to apply deep presence and loving compassion to a part of ourselves that is in fear. So rather than be embarrassed, just know that is the human state. You can't think of anybody that is walking. Even the Dalai Lama, was, I saw an interview with him where he talked about lashing out and yelling at his employees and they would get scared of him, right? And Mother Teresa, there's terrible stories about how scared the young girls were. So let's just assume that everyone can be triggered and it's just not something we have language for quite yet. So rather than feel embarrassed, like there's nothing to be embarrassed about, you were scared. Because if we're embarrassed, we run into the basement and hide. But if we feel sad and we feel there's permission, we run to mommy and get a hug, right? And most of us run into the basement and hide because it didn't feel like we could run to mommy and get a hug. And by mommy, I mean any caretaker when we were little, and now I mean us. I mean that we take those places that get triggered that way and say, come here. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. You're scared right now, I'm gonna hold you. I think that's huge. And you were talking earlier about things being sort of present in the body and how important do you think that is and what do people need to do? I think they need to do exactly the work we're talking about. I think that so much of what makes us unhealthy are symptoms or strategies to not feel those quote unquote embarrassing places. So if you feel an embarrassing feeling of feeling scared, frustrated, angry, ashamed. If we were to be willing to hold that place back into, oh, I feel safe and loved again, we wouldn't need the cocktail, the alcohol, the sugar, the excess shopping, the porn, all of the things that we do to distract from feeling that way. And so much of what we do to not feel it is exactly what ends up making us unhealthy. And then we attack that and we say, hey, just stop eating or just eat some more, just eat less or eat this and don't eat that and don't drink and don't drink that, but you can drink that. So we fix it on that level instead of fixing it on the feeling somatic emotional level. So if you're running for a cocktail when you feel ashamed and scared and unloved and that really does help, then that's a really good remedy, right? Eventually you might turn into an alcoholic based on that. Right. We have to replace the cocktail with the real healer, which is love. I, I think you've gone over this, but what specifically should they say to themselves? Well, my favorite words to myself that I have found work the best. I'm here, I love you, I've got you, it's okay. It's loving compassion, it's deep presence. What is the deepest gift we can give another human being? It's full presence. I remember Marianne Williamson in one of her books talked about how her little daughter, she raised her daughter by herself, and the daughter would plead with her and say, Mama, be with me. And she was so busy. Mm -hmm. And she looks back on this, and I'm paraphrasing, I hope I get it right, but she looks back and, and, and said, I wish I could have just been with her. Like that presence, and when you go to any playground now, how many parents are on the phones? It's only been recently I've realized how damaged my parents were. 
When I do this eight-step heal what hurts process with people, it's one of the later steps, but that's a, a huge step is forgiveness. Not in the sense that we think it's okay we weren't loved at a crucial point, but that we simply forgive and release the person and recognize that our caregivers were wounded people who likely didn't receive that full presence from their parents. So I would say that that complete loving presence is what God is, and it's a state of consciousness. When we become completely present within ourselves, to our breath, and in the moment, we are in a state of love. And if we could be in that state all the time, we would feel so full of love that nothing anybody could say would throw us off, and we just couldn't be cruel to ourselves or others. But none of us stay in that state for any length of time in this particular point in human evolution, and yet, that is the state that we, we must get closer and closer to. To the point that we're not in that state, we seek that presence from someone else. Be with me, listen to me. When you go to any social gathering, people really want to tell you about themselves and be seen. But they tend to want to do that more than they want to take someone else in and be present for them because there's such a deficit of feeling present and met in that way. And most of our chasings in the world is all about substitutes filling that void that really can only truly be filled with loving presence, our own loving presence. And the degree to which we're loving and present inside of ourselves, we can give that to someone else. How would you say is the best way to get to that place where you can be there for other people? I think it's a daily practice of self-love and the techniques that I use to fully get there, if you will. And it is a, a practice of stilling the mind and becoming very aware of the breath. And, and there are many practices that aim at that. In Christianity, we would say, be still and know that I am. And in, in, in yoga, we would practice stilling the cessations of the mind. So most spiritual traditions have their version of how to become still, how to quiet the mind down enough to experience our divinity. I like to do it by scanning my body. So that is probably my primary practice, is being aware of my breath and quieting down my, my physiology by being very present. So when I say being present, it's feeling presence in my whole body. So if you were to hold up your hands and feel into the palm of your hands for a moment. Do you feel a sensation of energy in the palm of your hands? Yes. Can you expand that from the palm of your hands all the way out through all 10 fingers into the fingertips? And can you include the back of the hands and the inside of the hands? Does it now feel like you're wearing two energy gloves almost? Yes. So that's full presence in the hands. It's almost as though we are, we're light bulbs and God is the electricity. And most of us are like five watt light bulbs most of the time. As we learn to be present, we can turn our presence up to 10 watt. Like, so feel your hands now again. So imagine they start at five watt and now with your sheer focus and concentration, they're now at 10. Mm. Bring them up to 15. Right. Go to 20. Okay. Go to 30. It's amazing. Okay, can you go to 40? Barely, it's okay. in my body now, it's okay. in my legs. Yeah, okay, so now let that spread up through your arms. 
Okay, hold that and bring that same degree of wattage into your feet. So just carbon copy that degree of presence into both feet. Do your feet feel kind of tingly yeah. and alive? Oh yeah. Okay, 30 watt, 40 watt, 50 watt. That's amazing. Up through the legs. That's crazy. Okay, so this is what I do. Now bring all of that into the torso. Okay. <laughs> okay. Up through the brain, face, hair. Okay. I'm laughing. That's okay. So I mean, now unusual. you're at 50, right? I'm saying bring this to a thousand every day, all day long. Mm. That's what enlightenment is. It's turning up our capacity for God light to carry that around. So we say to yoke, to unite spirit, this spirit light with our physical body. And now the moment you get back to your notes and your microphone, whoom, the light always goes down a little bit, right? Did you see it go down? I could see it. Right, now you can maybe bring it back. But, but this mm. is where we are, and I think that's exactly what happens when we are not fully embodied and full of the divine light that we are. What takes over the ahamkara, we would say in yoga, the ego illusion, it's bound to the mind, and it operates in a completely different way. Mm. It operates in duality. In the moment you're fully, fully embodied, you actually feel one with everything. Can you talk about a specific experience, maybe something that you've dealt with personally and how you got through it? Hmm. I can think of times when I was in a state of agitation, co-triggeredness with my partner. And, and I can remember many times holding hands, closing our eyes and taking that moment to simply say, may I see this man through the eyes of love, may he see me through eyes of love, may I hear him through ears of love, may he hear me through ears of love, may a miracle of love descend upon us. And just sit for less than a minute and just pray hard like that inwardly, not even sharing it, like sort of outwardly being too pissed to even say that, but inwardly going to that place and then opening my eyes and we both had tears in our eyes. It's like changing the channel. It's like changing from the ego channel that wants to be in bickering, agitation, and defend, and be in duality and protect, and then dropping back into seeing the heavenly divine in the other person. And the moment you see that, have you noticed how often if you're in some kind of trigger with someone else, a dynamic of sorts, you don't look each other in the eyes. And this is where texting and emailing is so treacherous because it can become mind against mind. But in the moment, if you're actually in the same space with someone, the moment your eyes meet, your gaze meets, it's nearly impossible not to see the humanity of the other. That would probably have been a lot harder for her to say that to your face. Her divinity would have been more alive and awake in connecting with your divinity. And then there's a lot more room for well, maybe that story is just a story I'm making up. One thing I, I love as a practice between people, when somebody says something that offends you, is to mirror back, what I'm hearing you say is this, am I getting that right? Mm. What I'm hearing you say is that you felt like I was deliberately trying to make things really hard for you. 
can I just check out that that's really what you mean and then I know that I can answer what you're really saying. So often when I work with clients and they'll describe to me a situation, a triggered situation, I'll tell them just give me the raw data of the situation, not your interpretation of the situation but what really happened. And people will tell me what they say really happened but it's often infused with their story about what happened. So well she just completely thought I had ruined her life. So did she say you have ruined my life? And I'm not referring to you now. Mm. I'm just giving an example. Well she didn't say that. Well what did she actually say? This is the raw data piece that we want to get down. What really happened and then separate out from that what you thought was happening. And that piece is often just a little skewed or a lot skewed from what really happened and already there your mind, your ego is in there and often the samskara is now tainting the interpretation of what happened with the prior experience. Right. Then some relationships can be that what I'm hearing you say or how I'm receiving this, this, this is how this lands with me, can I check this out with you? And often that will soften the other person enough to say, no, I didn't really mean that you totally ruined my life, I'm just disappointed that this glitch happened. Well, I'm really disappointed too. I didn't do it on purpose, this happened, right? So, so there's a de-escalating that can happen if you stay in the body. So healing is possible then? I absolutely think healing is possible and I think that the path of healing is the path of seeking the divine within, source within and not from someone else which is ultimately deep, deep self-love and presence. And when we become deeply self-loving and present, we're not gonna chase that outside of ourselves anymore. And maybe that same thing will be attracted to us, I would think? I think so, that's my experience, that as you become more grounded in yourself and, and you become much less manipulative, that hook where someone else can hook into your energy field and make you be there in a certain way for them, that closes. Mm. It's a new broadcast. Right, it's a new energy that's created. Yeah, it's a different broadcast when you're in full self-love and presence. So the exercise of being so energetically present in the body, when you are that energetically present in the body, you don't have the urge to go lean on somebody else to get their energy, which is often what empaths will do. They're not fully embodied, they're kind of out there, which is how they get all this cosmic information, but they have to be equally in. And how can they do that? <laughs> and again, I mean, it, it sounds so simple, and yet uh, it is a, a practice that really takes some dedication is to be really, really grounded in the body. And grounded in the body is, yes, body scan, feeling the body, noticing everything that's going on, whether that's a meditation practice or just like you and I did, just sit and feel the magic of prana, life, chi running through us, being out in nature, getting our hands dirty, cooking, cleaning, and, and sort of bonding together, matter with spirit, matter with spirit. And then you're like, ah, yeah, I'm here. You know, you mentioned Marianne Williamson. So has she been one of your influences? Absolutely. I think she's an amazing, beautiful teacher. And she has this ability that can be a little rare, a very well-developed left brain, organized, articulate, out there, you know, solid in that sense. And then the, the spiritual access through her spiritual practice. And, and she's bringing those two together in a really beautiful way. 
it tends to be that people are either a little spacey and new agey or they get so practical that they get cut off from the spirit world, but she seems to really embody those two pieces in a very solid way. What would you say about intuition and strengthening your intuition and trusting your intuition in our current environment? I think there's nothing more important than spending time every day where the mind is still and feel yourself in that still space in which the thoughts arise and watch to see in the still space what thought arises first. That still space between the thoughts, if we can hang out there and train that channel, because that's a channel and even within the mind, I would say there's more than one channel because we can deliberately think more positive thoughts, like positive affirmations, for example, is still the mind deciding to think a certain way. And when you start to meditate, you learn to turn the volume up and down a little bit. That's already something, right? I can quiet all those thoughts or I can amplify them. Now the next level of mastery is I can change the channel. I can go from this negative stream of thoughts to a more positive stream of thought. Now the highest mastery, if you have a remote control, turning it off, you got it. And what is that space where that's turned off? Now you're one with presence, and I would say love and God. And that's where you are all knowing. in my work as a photographer, and it's not exactly what you were talking about, but I would always miss a shot. I would always make a mistake, like the quintessential shot that I was supposed to get. I wouldn't get it. And I'm wondering what that is and how I can resolve that in my mind, because it's coming up for me now too. I figure I'm going to walk away from this podcast thinking, I can't believe I didn't ask her that. How do we resolve that? Or do we just accept it? Well, to me, that almost sounds like a script. I always miss a key point. I always miss a key point. And then that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I would play a little bit with that, like where is that in the body? I would even use that as a samskara, a story that has played out on a number of occasions. So if you were to just close your eyes and feel that, I always miss the most quintessential shot. Mm. Be willing to go into the body and see what is activated if you say that to yourself. I always miss the most important question. I always miss the quintessential shot. I fall short. I don't quite make it. My stomach. Yeah? So what lives in here? How old is that feeling? Oh, it's old, I think. Not quite there. Yeah. Always missing a little piece to make it perfect. I'm never perfect. I'm never all the way there. Just stay in your body. Feel that feeling. I'm not enough. With all my efforts, all my work, I can't do that. I'll always fall short. <laughs> 
It can be funny after a while. We can use humor to sort of, or is that a way of deflecting? Oh, no, I think that actually is kind of funny. Like, wow, I actually, do I have that? And I'm just guessing, feeling into you that that's kind of something that's running in there. Mm. And the, that's how we trick these samskaras to come to the surface is any little sentence we hear that's anything less than positive and wonderful about ourselves, just question, where is that from? Wow. That's just the story of my life. Not all the way there. Somehow always a B minus or whatever. And then often if you stay in your stomach, it's like, yeah, that's what happened at the news station. That's what happened in the radio. You know, then suddenly that will be like, wow, I did that over and over. And then that's sort of like pulling a samskara out of the closet. And is that really how it has to be? It's not really how it has to be. If you were to come home, what is the question you didn't ask? Right. <laughs> well, see, but this is, again, try to drop in, close your eyes. And, and if you're going to uh, be creative and sort of off the cuff, if you're going to allow that flow, sometimes there's a little glitch in the radio station. Okay. So in order to keep the light on, keep the lights on, so to speak, I should tune in to source, right? There you go. But I'm like, I'm going to get home and look at my car. What is that about? That's really strange that I'm having a hard time resolving that. So let's try this for a moment. Okay. Like really drop the cards for a second and have all your awareness go to the breath and how it feels inside your nose. Be in that still space and then see if a question arises without searching in the brain to see is there something else I wish I could know like if I had Maria here for a little longer what would I die to ask her what are we doing here well from my own perspective I have sort of reduced my work down to healing my triggers I think that we are one in the sense that what we think of as God life itself is within each of us and that God light within each of us that piece of source in Purusha we would call it in yoga is sort of assigned to each of us to heal my particular issues if you will wherever I have triggers wherever I have some scars the only thing that can heal that is deep loving presence and fortunately I have deep loving presence in my heart because that is what gives life to me and now I with my will with my awareness can direct that very loving essence that I have access to at all times directly into the places in me that are pained that need to be transformed you know it's alchemy it's like the pieces of me that are lead that lower my vibration my frequency those can be transformed with the light of my presence if I avoid them and ignore them and push them down and just act toward them with shame and embarrassment, then they just stay there and may, they may even get heavier and denser over time. And if I do the opposite, I hold them with deep love and they slowly relax and the lead transforms into gold, which is the spirit light that is our true essence. And it sounds like you help a lot of people too and that's gotta be rewarding. I have found ways to help people find that essence within themselves. 
I help them quiet down their mind enough that they realize that they are source, that God is within. And then you can, from, from that perspective, you can start to master your emotional reactions to things. You become the witnessing, loving light. And you can then watch the reactions as they come and you can scoop in and say, okay, sweetie, I know this is upsetting and you really want to react to this and you want to write that text and you want to defend yourself. And that higher, more God source connected piece was like, it's okay. I get that scary. That doesn't feel good. That feels threatening, but I've got you. You'll be fine. You know, that's one thing that came up for me recently was the ego around being a good person and wanting to defend that. I'm a good person, but it's still ego-based. Mm-hmm. Right, because from that spirit-grounded place, anybody's entitled to their opinion. And, you know, beyond that, anybody's going to see me, see you through their own filters. And, and we can't control what filters someone else has in place and chooses to view us through. Sometimes somebody sees us for our best and it feels great to have that reflected back to us. And when somebody sees our worst, we kind of shrink a little bit. And yet, I think if we are in relationship dynamics and we feel that we are like you just experienced at the sort of receiving end of someone else's trigger, if, if we are grounded enough in ourselves, we might be able to either dress it or kind of sidestep it. Like, I'm not getting entangled in this. Mm. Just because you wrote me, I don't have to respond. Just because you accused me, I don't have to defend. I can answer in a sort of high road way or I can completely ignore it. I mean, there's all kinds of choices when you have the ability to take a step back and not necessarily take another person's judgment deeply personally. Yeah, I, I feel like there's usually feedback there. For me, I had to kind of look at the feedback, and I deserved better, but I did decide I would send her light. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and that alone can be an incredibly powerful exercise if you have an issue of tension with somebody, if you simply send them loving light from your heart to theirs before a meeting, sometimes it's like the whole energy has shifted, that we have so much power if we tap into our capacity for love even if we have to fake it a little bit. I think it was, um, what's her name, um, Carolyn? Yes, Carolyn Meese. Meese, but she says in somewhere in one of her books that you can say, this is Christian language, you can use whatever language you want, I can't forgive so-and-so, Christ, please do it for me. Mm -hmm. You could say, the power of love, please do it for me. God, please do it for me. Source, please do it for me. So that on my ego level, I'm so pissed off, I can't forgive you, but I know there's a higher piece of me that I'm now calling upon to do that forgiveness. And then hopefully it filters down to where all of you can be on board with a forgiveness, but you can at least start somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, that was fun. And I might have to ditch the cards. I don't, you know. If you'd like to work with Maria, you can contact her at www.mariatozo.com. That's M-A-R-I-A-T-O-S-O dot com.